This audio is from the Axis Church in Nashville, Tennessee, and is part of our sermon series, Steadfast and Faithful, Experiencing Encouragement from the Psalms. For more information, please visit theaxischurch.org. All right, good morning, Axis Church. Good morning. Before we get started, I want to invite you to turn to Psalm 118 in your Bible. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one in the seat back in front of you, or if you have a device, go ahead and turn to Psalm 118 now. My name is Andy Stensrud, and I am one of the men going through the Pastoral Leadership Collective led by Pastor Jeremy. I'm overjoyed to be here with you this morning. The Axis Church is the church that my family, Ciara, my wife, and our three children have called home for the little over five years now. It's incredible to think back on the grace that God has poured out onto us through this church. We love you guys, and it has been a great joy to live life alongside of you. Now, this is our sixth week of our sermon series in the book of Psalms called Steadfast and Faithful. I pray that this is an encouragement to us today. There are so many wonderful things happening in Psalm 118. There is a ton of depth to it, back struggles, and forward-looking hope. But before we dig in, I want to give us a snapshot in the book of Psalms in general in hopes that we can understand Psalm 118 a little more clearly. And then we'll pray and dive into this text. Amen? All right. The book of Psalms. The book of Psalms has five parts to it similar to the Torah having five books. Now, the Torah are the first five books of the Old Testament in the Bible. Torah, which means instruction, it offers a way of life to those who follow it. The book of Psalms is essentially being offered as a new Torah. Psalms is an editorial of a lifelong practice of prayer. As the psalmist strive to obey the way of life, that God commands in scripture. By reading through Psalms, we can see that it's a struggle as well as a great joy to live a life devoted to God. And basically to put it in the language we use here at the Axis, Psalms is a picture of God's people fighting the drift, fighting for holiness and fighting to believe God more. To press in a little more here, we get a real life look into God's people really living life. Ups and downs, high highs and low lows. We can see two overlying themes in the book of Psalms. However, all of Psalms is full of a deep and wide range of emotions that we can all relate to in some way. The first theme are poems of lament, pain, confusion, and anger. This draws attention to what's wrong in the world and the psalmist asking God to do something about it. And we have poems of praise, joy and celebration, retelling of the stories of what God has done in the life of the psalmists and rightly thanking God for it. That's our snapshot in the book of Psalms. My hope And prayer now is that this is an encouragement to your soul today, that God becomes real to you and trustworthy. Whether you are having 
the best week of your life or the worst week of your life. No matter where you sit this morning, we can rejoice in the Lord because it's his steadfast love that endures forever. Amen? All right, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can come to you this morning through Jesus. The work is done. We can relax, as Tim told us. There is nothing left to do. Jesus has finished the work on our behalf. God, soften, prepare our hearts to receive your truth. I pray that you make yourself known through your word. Lord, meet us where we are. However we walk through the door this morning, meet us exactly there. You know us. Pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Psalm 118, his steadfast love endures forever. I want to invite you to follow along with me because this is a long psalm. Not as long as Psalm 119, (laughs) but it's long. (laughs) Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let Israel say, his steadfast love endures forever. Israel, this is referring to the people of God. Let the house of Aaron say, his steadfast love endures forever. The house of Aaron was a specific family that served the Lord as priests. Let those who fear the Lord say, his steadfast love endures forever. In the first chapter of the book of Proverbs, we read, fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Out of my distress, I called on the Lord. The Lord answered me and set me free. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is on my side as my helper. I shall look in triumph on those who hate me. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. All nations surrounded me. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They surrounded me, surrounded me on every side. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They surrounded me like bees. You can imagine what it'd be like if a swarm of bees was surrounding you. They went out like fire among thorns. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. I was pushed hard so that I was falling, but the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. The psalmist is wholly calling out to God here. The Lord is my strength physically and my song emotionally. He has become my salvation spiritually. This is beautiful, beautiful language. Glad songs of salvation are in the tents of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. Valiantly meaning with courage or determination. The right hand of the Lord exalts. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. I shall not die, but I shall live and recount the deeds of the Lord. 
The Lord has disciplined me severely. Last week, we heard Christian preach on the heavy hand of the Lord, that the Lord disciplines the ones he loves. This is the Lord's pursuit of the psalmist. It's the Lord's mercy and his kindness to discipline us. But he has not given me over to death. Open to me the gates of righteousness that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. In John 10, Jesus refers to himself as the gate. He says, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. Ephesians 2.20, Jesus is referred to as the cornerstone. The stone that the builders rejected is referring to God's plan for salvation, meaning there is salvation in no one else. There is no other name but Jesus Christ in which we must be saved. The psalmist says, this is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous, meaning this is not of mere human accomplishment. It is solely from God, referring to salvation. This is good news. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Save us, we pray. O Lord, O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God, and he has made his light to shine upon us. Bind the feastal sacrifice with cords up to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will give thanks to you. You are my God. I will extol you, meaning to praise enthusiastically. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. All right. Psalm 118. This is a song of praise. This psalm, which was actually sung, describes a festive procession into Jerusalem after some great deliverance. The original occasion is hard to identify. It's believed that it could be the rebuilding of the Jewish temple or the walls of Jerusalem. But God's people are rejoicing. In later times, Psalm 118 was sung at the Feast of Tabernacles, where God's people remembered God's past provision. It was also sung at Passover, where God's people remember when God freed them from slavery in Egypt. Both occasions, we see God's people rejoicing in God's past provision. In the New Testament of the Bible, in Matthew 21, 9, it is evidently recited by the crowds when Jesus entered Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. Jesus may imply that it will be sung again at his second coming in Matthew 23, 39, when Jesus says, For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. 
which is from verse 26. And if that's not enough, Psalm 118 is believed to be the last psalm that Jesus sang at the Last Supper with his disciples before he went to the Garden of Gethsemane, where history records Jesus was captured, he was tried, and he was crucified on a cross. Now, in and of itself, Psalm 118 almost seems too overwhelming to unpack. But let's keep digging a little deeper and look at it from another angle. And we know from reading scripture that God's people are not always so trusting. They're not always so willing to praise God or even call on him in their times of distress. They, like many of us, think, feel, and say, God is not good. He doesn't love me. He doesn't hear me. I feel afraid. I can't seem to get it right. I care way too much about what people think of me. I feel weak. Why should I care? Surely God doesn't care about me if God is even there. If God feels far off this morning or non-existent, Psalm 118 is a good place where we can see God a little more clearly as the psalmist recounts God's many acts of deliverance, openly showing through overly broken people, our hope is not to be found in this world or our current circumstances, whether good or bad. But God alone is trustworthy. He alone is good, and it's his steadfast love that endures forever. By the grace of God, his, by the grace of God and his endless mercy, your distress, your sin, your brokenness, your grief, your beauty, your fame, your youth, do not and will not last forever. But God's steadfast love endures his goodness, his plan for eternity. Regardless of the various trials of life, God's people can rejoice that his provision in love is not limited to one person. It's not limited to one generation. It's not limited to one people group, but it's unlimited to those who what? Call on the name of the Lord. God himself and his grace will be the unshakable reality for all who believe in him forever. This is good news this morning. Amen. Now I want to focus in on verse five from Psalm 118. Is this is a radical encouragement for us today. Verse five. Now the psalmist goes into a personal testimony. He says, out of my distress, I called on the Lord. This is grace. The Lord answered me. This is grace. And set me free. This is grace. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. And what the psalmist is saying is remarkable. He says, or he doesn't say, in spite of my distress. He says, out of my distress, meaning because of. This great distress, anxiety, sorrow, or pain, this is the vehicle that caused him to call upon the name of the Lord. 
He calls out in his distress and the Lord answered him and set him free. This is incredible. We hear this echoed in Romans 10. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Psalm 34 tells us, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Verse five says, not only did the Lord answer him, but he also set him free from his distress. Why did the Lord set him free? He tells us, because the Lord is on our side, so we need to not fear. I found this significant while studying this scripture. It begs the question, how can the Lord be on our side? How can the Lord be on your side? Because the Lord is Jesus Christ. Even throughout Psalms, hope was in the coming of the Messiah, the one chosen to save those who believe. Because biblical faith is forward-looking. They were looking towards the promise of God's future messianic kingdom. They were looking towards the promise of Jesus. Our ultimate hope and promise and cause to rejoice is found in Jesus Christ alone. Friends, what this means, that in your distress, God sent the Lord Jesus to set you free. That in your brokenness and in your sin, God sent the Lord Jesus here to earth to take away your sin, to live a perfect life for you, so that he was the perfect sacrifice that satisfied God's wrath that was due for your sin. This is personal. In our fear of death, God sent the Lord Jesus to defeat death on a cross by raising him from the grave so that by belief in Jesus, it hinges on this. By belief in Jesus, we are raised from death into life spiritually and we no longer need to fear death physically. We cry out in distress because of many, many reasons. But ultimately, our distress is rooted in our relationship with God being broken. Our ultimate need in life is to be reconciled back to God, our creator. To be forgiven of our sin so that we can find true peace, and true rest in the arms of our loving Heavenly Father. God's ultimate promise and fulfillment of all his promises throughout Scripture, throughout the entire Bible, is found in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ alone. What this means, the Lord is Jesus, and Jesus is the Lord of all, and in him there is freedom no matter our circumstances or distress, we can cry out to him and he will hear us. Amen? This is good news this morning. Wow. Now through this pastoral leadership collective, we all read a book called The Praying Life by Paul E. Miller. And it really pinpointed a couple of things for me. First, prayer. We must be in prayer. Access Church we must be in prayer. We can't just talk about God. We must be constantly talking to 
and with God about all of life. He's alive. Amen? This is done in prayer. God showed me that praying for others is a lot about God changing us, humbling us and fine-tuning us to see the work that he is already doing in those we are praying for. I could talk a lot more about this, but it got me thinking. We use the term the real Jesus here at the Axis, which I love. But as much as we need to meet the real Jesus, the real Jesus came to meet the real you. The real you, before you put on makeup, before you put on a smile, before you try and clean yourself up. The real Jesus came to meet the real you in your distress, in your mess, in your sin, in your falling, in your confusion, in your bitterness, in your unbelief. That's why Jesus came. Not so you would have to clean yourself up or to try to be good enough or to try to get it right one more time. But he came for you simply because he loves you and to defeat sin for you. Romans 5 says, but God shows his love for us. This is such grace. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is radical grace. This takes me back to before I became a Christian. Now, I would have told you that Jesus was God, that he died on a cross for sin. He rose from the grave, even that he was the savior of the world, but he was not my God. I never believed that I, Andy, needed saving or that he died on a cross for my, Andy's, sin. But then God showed me that his grace is personal. This is good news. God's grace is personal. In 2005, God in his grace, he called my name. He said, Andy, the problem is that you think you are a good person who makes bad decisions. He nailed it. That's exactly what I thought of myself. But the reality is, is you're a bad guy making bad decisions. You are bad because you are a sinner. That's your problem. And even more, because of your sin, you will be separated from me for eternity. And for the first time, I was devastated by my sin. I was broken, grieving, completely helpless, totally desperate. But by grace, he didn't leave the conversation there. He continued, but that's why I sent my son Jesus, to take away your sin. And by repenting or turning from your sin and turning to Jesus for forgiveness, you will be forgiven and your relationship with me will be restored. Two things became clear to me in that moment. I knew that I had never thought of myself as a sinner before. No way, not me. And I knew that I didn't know of this Jesus that he was speaking of that came to, for me in my sin. 
I was desperate to meet this Jesus. Like the psalmist, I wanted him to become my God, my song, my salvation. And by God's grace, out of my distress, I called on the name of the Lord, and he became my salvation. Jesus became my God, my song, and my strength. Maybe you don't believe God exists. Or maybe the story is similar to yours. You know the Bible stories, and it's possible that God exists, but he is not your God, and you give no thanks to him. Either way, ask Jesus to be real to you this morning. Be real with him. Ask him for the desire to know him, to be known by him, to believe him. Or maybe it's been a while since you've cried out to the Lord. He seems distant. You seem distant. Remember, you have nothing to fear. Jesus is on your side. He's completed the work. There is nothing left for you to do. I'm sorry to tell you, there's nothing left for you to do. But simply believe in Jesus. His steadfast love will endure. Be real. Don't try to fake it. We don't need you to fake it. The real Jesus wants the real you. The version that you don't show anyone. The person you know you are when you look in the mirror that no one else sees. In 2 Corinthians 12, 9, the apostle Paul is talking with God. He's being real with God. God tells him, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Friends, you can let go this morning. You don't have to be strong. His grace is sufficient for you. It's sufficient. It's finished. Psalm 118 is a beautiful song of praise to God for his faithfulness, his steadfastness, and his goodness. The psalmist had been oppressed, but God had freed him from his oppression. He had been attacked by a swarm of bees. <laughs> Not really. But God had delivered him from his enemies. He had been about to fall, but God had raised him up and given him important work to do, testifying of God's goodness. The psalmist has been through incredible trials, incredible trials, yet he still sings out about God's steadfast love. There is hope today. No matter what you are going through, whatever your circumstances may be, God loves you. And his love is steadfast. It's never ceasing. We don't even understand what that means. It's never ceasing for all eternity. And here's the good news. It's secure. You can't lose it. It's not something that you earned. You're saved by grace through faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. It's secure because of what Jesus has done on your behalf. Secure in your belief in Jesus Christ. This is good news this morning. Amen.
Now, as we heard earlier, Psalm 118 was believed to be the last song that Jesus sang in the upper room while he met with his disciples during the Last Supper. Which means singing this song, psalm, was believed to be the very last thing Jesus did before he left and went to the Garden of Gethsemane, where he was betrayed and he was arrested. He was eventually beaten nearly to the point of death, and then he was crucified on a cross. At the Last Supper, he told his disciples to remember him often by taking communion. This is a meal for Christ followers. We're going to take part in this here in a minute. He took some bread, telling his disciples that the bread would represent his body, which would represent his life. Then he took some wine, telling them that the wine would represent his blood, which would represent his death. He told them to eat and drink, for this is the blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. The covenant is God's promise to reconcile the broken relationship with him that our sin created. Jesus' blood is in which the sacrifice for the covenant is accepted because the blood is the source of life. Jesus' perfect, sinless life, the bread, allows the covenant to be fulfilled through his blood, his death. After Jesus told them this, he knew that he was about to give his life over to be crucified. Yet he took the time and sang a psalm that says, God's steadfast love endures forever. Do not let this be lost on you this morning. No matter how confusing your life may look this morning, God is trustworthy. He is steadfast and he is faithful. He proves this by sending his son, Jesus, to die for us. As you come and take communion today, come in remembrance. Like the people of God, the people were rejoicing in God's past provision. Come in remembrance of what God has done for you this morning. Fix your eyes upon the cross of Jesus Christ. Talk to him. Be real with him. Jesus really died so you could be really forgiven and find true freedom in him. For the non-Christian, instead of taking communion, I ask that you take Jesus this morning. Talk to him. Be real with him. Take him as your God, as your song, as your salvation, as your strength. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the psalmist's words. As he struggles through life, but yet he finds his strength and his salvation and his song and his true life in you. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for sending him. Even while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Lord, I just pray that you come and you meet us where we are right now. Keep our hearts soft toward your word. Keep our hearts soft 
towards your truth, towards Jesus. There is no sin that Jesus' grace does not cover. His grace is sufficient this morning. We can cry out. Amen. This audio is from the Axis Church in Nashville, Tennessee, and is part of our sermon series, Steadfast and Faithful, Experiencing Encouragement from the Psalms. For more information, please visit theaxischurch.org.